Amen, church family. Somebody say amen. amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Our resurrected King is resurrecting me. What a blessing that is that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, we're, uh, it's a new year and we have a new series that we're involved in and uh, the series title is To Be Ready. And I think that's something that we need to hear in our ears because a lot of times we get lulled into doing things the same way or, uh, you know, we get into a, a routine and uh, we, fit, we forget that we need to be ready. And um, I don't know uh, exactly, uh, other than God's power that draw, drew you here this morning, but many of you are probably thinking, oh, great. I picked the Sunday he's going to preach on giving. You know, oh man, I see all the, tur- the, the toes curl back in the shoes, you know. It's like, he, I hope he doesn't step on our toes. But folks, this is just what's next, okay? It's what's next in the series, okay? We need to be ready to give a witness, but we also need to be ready to give. We also need to be ready to battle, I mean, put on the full armor of God. And we need to be ready to work. I mean, all of these themes are things that as we um, progress along a new year, things that we need to keep in mind. Because I believe that this is a new season. I believe this is a new year and a new time for God to do some wonderful things in and through this church body. I'm expecting that from our Lord. You know, in the early days of chapter, in the early chapters of Acts, we find the um, exciting new church that was continuing in the apostles' teaching. And they they were continuing in fellowship, in the breaking of bread together, and in prayer, and having all things in common. You know, we read about that in Acts chapter 2. And to this day, we find the church emphasizing doctrine. And we, we, we find the church emphasizing fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. However, with a few notable exceptions, we no longer have the spirit of giving, at least to the extent that caused the early believers to share their possessions with one another. And to carry the gospel around the world. See, if we are to meet the challenge to send missionaries to every area of the earth so that all people will be able to hear about Jesus and who he is, then we must give freely and even sacrificially like we've never given before. I want you to read with me, if you will, in 2 Corinthians. I want to read the uh, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. And if you have your Bible and would turn there. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know... Your readiness. 
of which I boast about to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared." Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace... Abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may, um, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to worship you. And Father, it is our joy to sing praises to our King to the one who gave his life for us so that we won't receive what we deserve. Father, I thank you for that grace, but I also thank you for the grace of giving. Father, that even though we give, we recognize that we cannot outgive you. And Father, we recognize that the more we give, the more we see you working in and around our world. Father, and the more we give to you, the more we are blessed. So, Father, I pray that you would just guide us in this grace. Father, that you would teach us more about yourself and more about what you desire. And, Father, that you would help us to, to receive this by your Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit would take these words 
and magnify them in our heart and teach us what we need to know so that we can be perfect and complete and mature, lacking nothing. Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your word. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want to point out to you three truths that we see in this passage, 2 Corinthians 9, that will help us to be ready to give. Three truths. And the first one is this, is that readiness to give springs from a lifestyle of generosity. If we're going to be ready to give, it's going to be because we live a lifestyle that is based on generosity, not on stinginess. Okay? Christian giving is not to be something that we just practice occasionally. See, Paul encouraged the Corinthian believers to be ready to give to the needy brothers who were in Jerusalem when he made their, his regular visit to them. And in the final chapter of 1 Corinthians, he tells them, he sell, tells them to set aside their gifts every week as God has prospered them. As God has blessed them. As God has increased them. So set aside your gift each week is what he tells them. And he gives us an illustration in this passage. And it's an agricultural metaphor to explain how we can learn to delight in our giving. I love that. Learn to delight in our giving. See, Paul gave us all a life principle here, and it's the principle of generosity, of being generous. You know, he says that joyful giving is like planting crops. It's like planting seeds, and he compared it to a farmer planting seed. If he sows generously, he will reap generously. I love that. See, every culture puts its wisdom into some sort of proverbial form. I mean, we in our country, we've inherited sayings like a stitch in time saves nine, or don't count your chickens before they hatch, or be sure and look before you leap. I mean, we, we talk about those things, and that's, that's modern-day proverbial wisdom. And in this passage, Paul begins by using proverbial wisdom that was probably well-known in his day, and that it may even capture another of our contemporary proverbs, we get as good as we give. Think about that. Folks, this is a principle for daily living. Every day we should live that way, with that type of generosity. I mean, and, and it's not only true about giving money. I mean, you assume that I'm talking about giving money. When I talk about giving. But it's so much more than that. I think this is important. Because it's also true of whatever you give. I mean if you work hard at your job. Then your business will in turn work for you. If you give unselfishly of your time and energy to others. People will always be willing to help you. If you plant seeds of friendship in your life, you're going to reap many friends. 
If you want a good family life, then devote your, yourself to your family. If you want to be loved, be loving and give your love away because in doing that, you will also reap a lot of love. See, this is more than a principle for daily living. This is a promise from God. See, a few years ago, I visited with an elderly man. And some of you may know who I'm talking about. He hasn't been gone all that long. His name is Gerald Floyd. And his sweet wife, Ruby. A few years ago, probably many years ago, he, he used to raise a large garden. And in his older years, he, he kind of downsized that down to these garden boxes in his backyard. And I went over there one day, and, and, and every single plant that was in his garden box was flourishing. And this is huge, because one of the things that he said stuck in my mind. He said, after you've prepared the soil and planted the seed, just keep the grass out and leave it alone. He said, it'll produce better without your help than with it. Sometimes we try too hard to make things grow. But you see, my point is this. When you plant the seed, God is the one who makes the garden grow. God is the one who germinates the seed. God is the one who makes the, the, the shoot sprout up. God is the one that brings the produce. We can't wish it. We can't make it. We can't do it. It is God who produces the fruit. But it's the same way with our giving. When we give to others, especially to those in need, the Bible says you are giving to God. When you give to others in need, you are giving to God. And when you make a regular practice of giving, God will bless you more than you could ever imagine. I mean, God accepts your gift as an expression of your love. And that's why we talk about giving as worship is because it's an expression of where our heart is. And who is the provider behind all that we have? I mean, we recognize that God provides everything that we have. Truly, it all comes from Him. And giving is a measure of our heart for Him. It's the giver behind the gift. You see, I love this because generous giving benefits the giver as well as the recipient. By the way, it's a very interesting linguistic note here in verse 6. You see the word bountifully. And you might even have a marginal text note there that says, with blessings. And it's the word eulogia from which we get our word eulogy from. And a eulogy is spoken at a funeral and it is with blessings. It is talking about the blessings of this person. And it's proper to translate this word as bountiful because it does have the idea of sowing bountifully like everywhere rather than just sparingly here and there. But it also carries the idea of blessing. 
think about this. It can have the sense that the person who sows with a view towards blessing is the one who is going to receive blessing. Why do you think it says God loves a cheerful giver? You see, it is that view towards blessing. In other words, the person who sows on the principle that they want the most blessing possible is going to receive the most blessing possible. I mean, think about the farmer. He doesn't buy one bag of seed and walk out there and plant each seed, uh, you know, individually as he goes through. No. He puts it in a planter and it plants the field, the whole field. And he may go through many sacks of seed in order to get that to happen. He plants bountifully so that he can harvest bountifully. You see, it may appear to some like they're giving too much. (laughs) Too extravagant. Then they operate on the principle of blessing. That the more they give, the more God is going to return to them in the harvest. And don't think of this just in terms of money. Think of this in terms of your witness for Christ. Be ready to give a witness. The more you sow the more bountifully you will reap. If you're not planting anything, don't expect to reap anything. It's a very interesting principle here. But listen, whenever you hold back, whenever you are fearing loss, I don't want to risk it. You forfeit gain. When you give everything, trusting God, you're going to have a huge harvest. See, there's three principles here. I'm going to get back to these truths, but there's three principles in God's economy that I want to give you. And the first one is this, the principle of identity. (laughs) You reap what you sow. One thing you will never find is a farmer that plants wheat and reaps corn. You're going to plant. You're going to reap what you plant. You're going to reap what you sow. And whatever gets harvested is exactly what was planted. So look and watch carefully what you are planting. I mean, God cannot be mocked. In other words, He can't be hoodwinked. You can't deceive God. That's what it says in Galatians 6. It says, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. I mean, think about this. Some people sow to the flesh every day. And they wonder why they reap corruption 
They wonder why they reap moral decay and poverty and disease and broken relationships and loneliness and depression. It's because they are sowing seeds to the flesh. But others sow to the Spirit every day. And they also reap the harvest and their lives are characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. That's the harvest. When you live for the flesh, you reap the flesh. When you live for the Spirit, you reap the Spirit. It's not rocket science. Farmers have known this a long time. You reap what you sow. Principle of identity. The second principle is increase. You reap more than you sow. I mean, think about this. What farmer would go out and plant a sack of seed in order to reap a sack of seed? Doesn't work that way. He plants a sack of seed so that he can reap many, 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 many bags of seed. I think that's huge. Because when we think about that, the return is always much greater than the initial investment. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's a beautiful thing to watch if you're walking in the Spirit. It's a horribly tragic thing to watch if you're walking in the flesh. Because this is what the prophet says in Hosea 8. He puts it this way. For they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. (laughs) Know this. In God's economy, you reap more than you sow. And no matter what a a farmer, farmer plants, we also have the principle of interval. You reap after you sow. No matter what a farmer plants, it takes time for the crops to grow and to ripen. And when we're sowing to the Spirit, this fact can sometimes cause us to to lose hope. Forgetting that sometimes we have to wait a long time for the harvest. But when we're sowing to the flesh, the same principle can cause us to be careless. Believing somehow we're going to escape the harvest. You know, we sow those wild oats and then we pray for crop failure. But know this, God will not be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. I mean, there's going to be a payday someday. Scripture tells us, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin... You know, Galatians 6, it talks principally about our moral lives, but Paul uses the same law of the harvest in 2 Corinthians to speak about our stewardship. The principle of identity says that if we sow a life of stinginess, if we sow a life of selfishness and materialism, the, the harvest we experience will be perfectly in keeping with what we've planted. If, on the other hand, we sow a life of generosity... If we sow a life of giving and sharing, we will reap the same results in our own lives. The principle of increase tells us that we reap more than we sow. If we're tight-fisted, 
God will be tight-fisted with us as well. But if we're generous, he will be generous way beyond our imagination. If you look at Ephesians 6, verse 20, it says, Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So far beyond anything we could think of. Then you have the principle of interval that says that sometimes we have to wait on God's blessing. See, God promises that the law of the harvest is in operation both in our moral lives, but also in our stewardship lives. Three principles. Identity. (laughs) I love that. Increase. Interval. Moving on to the second truth here about being ready. Readiness to give flows from a heartbeat of compassion. And right now I'm going to start plowing close to the corn. Because when your heart is concerned for the needy, you will naturally want to give. When you see someone who is needy, you want to give. I mean, when your heart weeps for clean water for families in Kenya, you will give. When your heart is broken over the people in Tanzania that have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who live up on a mountain, then you will give. But understand, there are some challenges that come to our compassion. I mean, I suspect that even the Apostle Paul, as he was challenging the churches to give, (laughs) that he ran into people, some people with critical hearts. As he urged the early churches to give, I'm sure some people did not agree that everything, uh, about everything that was done with the money. You know what I mean? We get so picky about all of these things. Somebody probably thought too much money went to the widows and not enough to feeding hungry families. No doubt some people were annoyed at the thought that some people, some of that money might have gone to freeloaders. Those who were just looking for a handout. Some people probably thought more should go to support missionaries. And while others may have thought that the missionaries should support themselves. But understand this. They would have given nothing if a critical spirit dominated the church. Folks, we need to check and make sure that we don't have a critical spirit. See, with so many people in churches today, there's no way we could all agree on how to spend every penny that's given. But as we bind our hearts together with compassion and concern, those, those disagreements fade away. We recognize that we're all pulling in the same direction and that we all want to see the kingdom of Jesus Christ moving forward and the gospel being shared. That's our purpose. That's our desire is to go make disciples of all the nations. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. We need that heart of compassion. I'm sure some of the members at Corinth had calloused hearts. I mean, some did not give because they didn't care about the needs of others. But folks, we can easily shelter ourselves from the sinfulness and the heartache of the world around us. 
I mean a world without Christ. We can isolate ourselves. We don't have to watch the news. We can isolate ourselves from all of those outside just to this narrow fellowship of our Christian family. These are the only people I'm going to hang out with. But you know what? We miss out on a lot. We miss out on a lot of opportunities to be a blessing, to show Christ's love. I would say even further, we can isolate ourselves. We can conveniently find an excuse to stay home, even from church or from Sunday school or from our connect groups. Or from a missional event like Feed My Sheep. We can choose to do what we want to do or what we don't want to do. We can stay within the confines of these four walls. Or we could, we could branch out and, and, and be generous in that. But what happens is if our hearts are calloused. A callous is where there is a hardness. If our hearts are hardened, we will not give. See, with very little effort at all, we can push out of our hearts the awareness of those who are cold, those who are hungry, and those who are lost without Jesus Christ. Our hearts can be critical, they can be calloused. Others in Corinth probably had a carnal heart. I want to say a fleshly heart. They could come up with all kinds of reasonable objections to giving. <laughs> Think about Judas. You remember him? He was one of those. We read about it in John 12 where Mary took this expensive oil and she went and poured it on Jesus' head and his feet. And she was anointing him. And Judas had a problem with it. And his excuse seems so reasonable to us. Well, that money could that that vial could have been uh, sold, and the money could have been given to the poor. It wasn't because Judas loved poor people. It wasn't because he saw a need. Judas loved money. He didn't want her to pour that out on the Lord. He hated to see anything of value sacrificed to the Lord. We'd better check. Do we have a carnal heart? Do we enjoy things of value being sacrificed to the Lord? Or do we just want to give him our leftovers? You know. Don't bring the new table down to the church. Bring the one that has a broken leg. And donate it. Is that the way we sacrifice for our Lord? The one who gave it all for us. See, one of the dangers of a carnal attitude is that it can spread. Matthew and Mark record that when Judas protested, the other disciples evidently joined in. And you know what? An entire church can be ruined by a carnal spirit. One person gets their priorities wrong and then another follows. And before long, hundreds of people are, are placing more importance on their clothes and their cars and their homes and their recreation than they are on sharing the gospel with people who have never heard. 
See, as we've already observed, the real reason to give is because our hearts are moved to do so. William Barclay says this. He said, the need awakens a desire that cannot be stilled. (laughs) Folks, the need awakens a desire that cannot be stilled. Folks, that's a picture of what God did for us. The need, your need and mine, for a Savior awakened a desire that needed, that could not be stilled. And so he sent Jesus for us. That's why he gave Christ. You know, lastly I would say this. Readiness to give stems from a mindset of confidence. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, And God is able. You could stop right there. And God is able. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I want you to hear how Eugene Peterson, in his translation called The Message, puts it. He says, God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon his right living, right giving, Ways never run out, never wear out. Folks, that's the God we serve. I mean, there are some immediate benefits to our giving. The promise that we will share God's abundant grace, His resources. And I love this because of the the universals that are in this verse. Notice how staggering they are. He says, all grace That God is able to make all grace abound to you. (laughs) Have you tasted some of that grace? When your supply came and, and you didn't know where it was coming from? He can make all grace abound to you. He says, always. I love this because he says he can make all grace abound to you so that always, that means at every time and every moment, that doesn't mean sometimes, that doesn't mean never, that doesn't mean if, if you feel like it or don't feel like it, it means always. That he can make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency, having all that is sufficient, Those are some big words for every good deed. That doesn't mean that God will make every generous Christian wealthy. What that means is that you're going to have everything that you need when you need it. You know, we can give ourselves away. In a variety of creative ways. When we talk about giving, we can give of our time. And God is going to supply all sufficiency in our time. 
We can give. We can give our energy. We can give our money. We can give our skills. And he's going to give us all sufficiency in all of those things. Because recognize that people who believe in God's grace have no trouble giving. Because we recognize everything we have comes from him. You know, it excites me as a pastor to see people who really get and come to grips with the promises of Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. I mean, the Lord has promised that you don't have to worry about the things that this world worries about. But put his kingdom first. Give to him first. I mean, is there anyone here who really likes to worry about finances? I mean, how many of you said, oh boy, I can't wait till my spouse gets home so we can balance the checkbook? Never happened. Or what about, have you ever thought to yourself, I wish we could spend every evening talking about our family budget. No, it creates problems. It creates issues. If you don't like it, then why do you do it? Because the Lord has given us an escape. And of course you will always have to be responsible for the money and the things and the, and, the, and the energy and the skills and the talents that God gives you. But he has promised that you will have enough when you put him first. I mean, Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Seek first his kingdom. And all of this will be added to you. You know you can always trust God's grace. But you see joyful giving is an act of worship. We are worshiping him when we give joyfully. It's an action. It's a deed. It's worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I love this because in the very last verse of this chapter, Paul says this. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you recognize that your giving, your giving is to be like his giving? I mean, he's the, the supreme example of giving. Which is a generosity towards us. That even continues to this very moment. I mean Romans 8. 32 says. He who did not spare his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? See God. He keeps giving to us. All the time. All the time. We've been given new life in the Son and all of God's resources to live that life. And we can learn to live cheerfully and bountifully and to give for the right reasons. And God can transform us into gracious, bountiful, generous, joyful people who reflect His character. 
You see, not only can you trust his grace for you, but you can trust his grace through you. I mean, God has promised to provide whatever we need in order to do whatever he's asked us to do. But you see, the task is great. The task is so great. I mean, we've pledged ourselves to go make disciples of all the nations. And from a human standpoint, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, God has promised that His grace is sufficient to meet the needs of His people and to fulfill the responsibilities that He's given us. But my question is, are you willing to prove God and to watch His promises come true? I mean, that's what He wants to do. He wants to keep His word to us. But we have to do our part too. In giving, joyfully, generously, bountifully, as we sow the seed so that we can reap a bountiful harvest. What if God is waiting for us to plant bountifully in order to bring a harvest of souls here like we've never seen? See, God is calling his people to be ready to give. Ready to give their money. Ready to give their time, their talents, their energy, their children. Even their lives to fulfill the great commission. Before the great day of his return. Don't ever get away. From living with expectancy that Jesus Christ could come back right now. But see, there are still people who have never heard. We're involved in that. We're giving. We're going. We're sending out. We're doing what he calls us to do. And what I'm saying, as a church body, we need to You know that pedal on the right-hand side down in the floorboard? The accelerator? We need to mash it. We need to mash it. We need to get after what God is calling us to do. We have a new year. And my prayer is that this year we would give more. We would see more salvations. We would be more of a witness than we've ever been before. And that we would plant bountifully so that we might reap bountifully let's pray together loving father I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word and father I know that while none of us are are batting a thousand with you I do know father that you are looking for willing hearts Father, I recognize that there are times in our life when we just need to come and repent. Father, to repent of a critical spirit. To repent of a calloused heart. 
to repent of a carnal, earthly heart, fleshly. When God, we've not been generous like we should be. When God, we've been trying to control things. And Father, we recognize that we are not in control, but you are. Father, I pray that you would, your spirit would, would pour out a spirit of repentance on your people. That God, we would be ready to give. Father, that our hearts would be moved with compassion. That our hearts would be moved with concern. And Father, we would also have the confidence in you. Not in ourselves. Not in our bank accounts. But God, that we would have the confidence in you. That you will supply all that is needed. Because you are all sufficient in everything. And God, you own it all. But God, that you would help us to have willing hearts. Father, to follow you wherever you lead us. God, that we would not be confident in ourselves. But that our confidence would come from you. Truly, God, you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for each of us. Father, I just want to say you can have this whole world. But just give me Jesus. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. You know, God loves us so very much. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at. And you know, I find this message challenging to me. To give more, to be more, to do more for His kingdom. And you know, it's easy for us to get complacent. It's easy for us to say, well, I went to church. I'm going to mark the box. I did my duty this week. But God is a 24-7 God. He's at work all around us. All the time. And he invites us to be a part of that. You know, my invitation to you this morning is simply this. Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you be willing, when the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart, to give? Whether it's your money or your time or your effort... To your love, your generosity to someone else, when He puts it on your heart, will you be willing to give? Will you be willing to give that witness when He asks you to? See, I think money, giving of ourselves through our money, is the easy part. Giving of our witness of telling others what God has done for us should be the easy part. But we make it hard. Will you be willing to be willing?